Hello, everyone. Good afternoon. So first, uh, Suzanne for the coordination of the book and then the organizers for the invite today and also to propose such a very good topic for after lunch and also with the three excellent speakers that we have here today. So we're going to be looking a bit of what is the new phase of the energy, what are the new players, the new topic, and what is about sector coupling. So we, with that in mind, I, I would like to introduce a bit uh, of uh, why I'm here today. So I work for Olivo Energy, which is an energy strategy consultant. I'm saying all this because during lunch they asked me what this is about Olivo. So we do see there is a great opportunity and a space to put together innovation, regulation, and business opportunity. And that's why Olivo Energy was born, and this is why we are here today in Europe and in Spain and in other countries doing some kind of a consulting service. So with that, last summer, Susanne asked me to, to write a, a chapter for the book on disruptive innovation. Before Olivo Energy, I was with the Tesla and with Siemens, working always with energy and this, uh, smart grid. So I, I wanted to bring disruptive innovation from the last 10 years, what happened in Europe, together with the regulation and innovation, which this is what I stand about and for. So can I have the, the presentation? I only have one slide, which uh, what I did in the book is to write about 13 innovations that are disruptive. So I won't go through the 13 innovations. It's the second page. Thank you. Um, so these are the 13 innovations that you will read in chapter 26 if you go around that. And we are talking an innovation that happened in the last 10 years. And for me, one of the main innovations that we don't take uh, care of it today, but it really meant a lot, it was the, the rollout of the smart meters. So the rollout of the smart meters put the consumer into a space that they could have data. Uh, there was, at the same time that there were data on the side of the consumer, the consumer started to be more and more willing to be proactive and to be participant of the electricity sector. And we see today the part of the electricity uh, directive of the clean energy package, some of them are pushing for flexibility and for consumers to be part of a, of a more uh, market-based electricity system. So there are a few more things that happened in, that, in the last uh, 10 years that are, are of interest. One is the political commitment. Suddenly there was a commi political commitment that there was not so clear commitment on a climate change, on energy, and to bring the consumer into the electricity system. Then there are a lot of uh, stakeholders that are changing the roles, and also there are new stakeholders. We have cities that are shaping the future. We have the distribution companies, the TSOs, the retailers, all companies, new, new uh, companies like aggregators. They are evolving, and they are facilitating the energy transition. So this is also something that uh, it was, for me, one of the major things that uh, have been happening in the last 10 years in terms of uh, uh, disruption. And late to finish with something, we have uh, today something that we didn't have uh, 10 years ago, and this innovation is moving so fast, and we have so much data and so much IT capabilities that what we are facing now is we kind of combine many of the things we can do because we have the capability to manage data and to put it together and to bring value for that. And with this uh, being the end of my, my input, I would like to pass the, the floor to the three speakers. The first one that will speak is... Uh, Oliver Corradi, he's a data analyst, uh, no, sorry, data science. And what I like about him is that he told me he likes flexibility, and he worked with flexibility, but from the CO2 and personal point of view. So I think what we're gonna hear from him is gonna be very exciting today. Then we will have Remy, uh, sorry for my French, Remy uh, Garou, and he's uh, representing Edis, the DSO, uh, in France, and he will tell us what is uh, the new phase for distribution companies for DSOs. And finally, uh, Lauren Smith will uh, give us a, a view from the TSO and from everything he's been uh, um, 
I guess listening on innovation this morning in the in the platform for Irena. So he's working for he's the general secretary for NSUI, and I think we are kind of privileged to have the three of them here with us to speak about the new phase of energy. Thank you. Thank you very much. So while I get my presentation up here, um, maybe I can say a few words about myself so you have a bit of a, a background. Um, so I represent the startup that is called Tomorrow. I don't know if we can do the screen sharing again so the slides come up. Um, it's a startup that I founded three years ago. Uh, so you definitely see also on uh, my outfit right now that I'm the startup representative not wearing a suit uh, in this beautiful collection. I should have taken a tie on, but that's how we roll. <laughs> um, so I'm a machine learning engineer, data scientist. I've been doing data for more than 10 years. I definitely understand why people say that data is the new oil. Uh, and we definitely tend and will do everything to use that new oil for good purposes. And our purpose, the reason why the company was born, is to figure out scalable digital solutions to climate change. And this is a bit what I'm going to talk about very briefly. Um, if, so let me put this in full screen. So briefly about the biggest challenge of our time, it's you two, and I think the previous panel discussed it already. The only thing I will say or show here uh, is the long time series of CO2 concentration in the atmosphere. And you just, every time I see this graph, I'm just shocked by how big this spike is. And it's basically due to fossil fuels getting burned um, and the only thing I'll say about CO2 that we should all keep in mind is, is that CO2 is an extremely inert molecule, so it stays in the atmosphere for millennia. So this means that everything we put up now, we will basically, our children will inherit it, our grandchildren will inherit it, and this is why it's, we sh it should be considered as debt. And this is why we shouldn't reach peak emissions, we should reach zero emissions, because everything we put out there, it stays, and it's gonna impact our future. So what do we do about this? There's an opportunity that presents itself more and more is that people, they care about climate change. They just don't know what to do about this. So it's an information problem and it's a storytelling problem. And data and data visualization can enable us to tell simple, intuitive stories with this data. And this is what the company is all about. The mission statement is actually pretty close to Google's, if you think about it. It's organizing the world's information related to carbon emissions, making it accessible and widely useful. Any product that will come out in the future will need to take into account carbon emissions, showcase that the product is low carbon, and this is the only way we're gonna build a low carbon future is if carbon information is embedded in everything that we do and all the decisions that we take every day. So based on that, we built a first product that is called the Electricity Map. It was built in 2016, uh, and it showcases in real time where electricity comes from and how clean it is. And I don't know if I can showcase a quick demo. I'll try. Uh, up. So this is the electricity system right now. The color that you see on the map basically shows you how much CO2 is emitted for each kilowatt hour you would be uh, pulling out of your electricity plug. So if you were to charge your Tesla, for example, in Belgium, let's look at it right now, uh, basically says that you're emitting 224 grams of CO2 for each kilowatt hour you would use uh, to power your Tesla, for example. And it's 26% renewable, 63% low carbon. The difference is the nuclear, which is low carbon but not renewable, you can see the electricity mix here on the left side, but the really innovative and truly different thing that is happening here is that we take into account the imports and the exports. Those are all the, so I'll remove this beautiful wind animation. Those are all the small arrows you can see on the map shows how greatly interconnected the whole European system is and each color you have on the arrow shows the carbon content of the exchange, meaning that uh, for example, right now in eastern part of Denmark, they are importing green electricity, or at least low carbon electricity, uh, from Sweden. Um, all of this is, has been scaled to a worldwide initiative. We don't have all the countries yet, but the only way we could do this is because we're basing ourselves on open data. The NCOE transparency platform is most of our data on the European uh, side of things, but we build a community of people around this that helped us 
source code and figure out where all of the open data is available in the whole world. And so each country you see there, uh, there's basically someone that helped us figure out how to get that data. So it's a, it's a beautiful example of how you can scale up a whole open source community around this project. And we can talk more about this if it um, interests you afterwards. Um, so just going back here briefly. Um, so we have more than 100 countries. We've had 700 what we call GitHub pull requests or contributions, basically people uh, coding directly into the electricity map. And it's basically used a lot of uh, places. It's been used by the French energy minister uh, by in, in the latest uh, uh, program of planification of the energy um, for, the last, for the next couple of years. It's used in classrooms and universities and so on. Uh, and there's a lot of people that are not at all from the energy business that come to this place and discover how electricity is produced and they had no idea. So that, that I'm really happy about. Now, if you have a company, you have to build a business around this. Um, and just to showcase you um, the idea we got, this is a time lapse that shows the evolution of the whole system over a year. And what you can see, obviously, is that the countries with a lot of renewable, they start blinking because when the wind blows, of course, you have low carbon electricity. But when the wind doesn't blow, then you might have a problem and your backup power is often fossil fuel based. And that puts the color more to the brownish side. So the, the point is, of course, we need flexibility. Of course, we need flexible systems. But what we're addressing is the CO2 part of it. So basically, yes, if you consume at the proper time, you might save money, but you're also saving CO2. And this is what we built a business around. So we have, excuse me for the jumping around everywhere here. We build an API. So an API is basically a system that enables machines to communicate with other machines. And we communicate to all connected objects out there, the whole IoT world, and tell them, this is how the whole electricity is going to look like in the next 24 hours. This is the time where you should be consuming electricity if you want to minimize your carbon footprint. So your electric vehicles should do that. Your heating system should vary its set point in order to consume most electricity when it's low carbon. Your data center should plan its operations. Uh, and so this is one of the things we're doing with the different partners we have. So we're data providers based on open data. We use machine learning to do forecasts, and that's what we sell. And this is only the first part, because the next part is putting all of those things into the hands of the consumer. We have a, a very good partnership with Barry, which is an electricity retailer in Denmark. And they have just launched a feature now in their app where they're showcasing the carbon content of the electricity in real time and in the next 24 hours to their consumers. And they're basically taking a whole different angle at making electricity appealing again to most people. Because right now, electricity is something, unfortunately, for consumers is a bit boring. I think if you ask most people, where do you get your electricity from, they don't even know. Um, so they want to change a bit the game and say, what if you could get electricity through an app? You download an app, you change retailer, you subscribe, and then you have a whole different experience. So the, the relationship to the consumer just changes completely if you look at it that way. So that's a bit of what we're doing with Barry. And I'll show you the next project that we're working on, and that will be the end of my intervention here. It's basically, what if we could have an app that automatically com computes all of your carbon emissions automatically, right? And this is going beyond electricity, and it's getting really personal because we know that the relationship with the consumer is the thing that is currently lacking if you want a proper large-scale energy transition. Just a sneak peek of the beta we have right now of the app. It's something that enables you to discover and learn uh, the difference between the impact of your daily activities. Here I had a couple of examples. This is a plane ticket. Uh, with a train to Stockholm uh, compared to a meal that you could have compared to charging your Tesla, for example. And those different orders of magnitudes are not something that is that are easily understood. Um, so the, the obvious question has, is, how do we get this data? Um, the way we do it is that we partner up with different third parties. For example, Uber, you connect your Uber account, and then every time you take a ride, the ride comes into the app. We know how much a ride is based on the number of kilometers. Um, and then we can show the footprint. The same with TripIt, scans your emails, organizes all your trips, your travels, your planes, your uh, trains. And then based on which route you took, which plane it was, we can calculate the CO2 footprint. So we're integrating with a lot of different third parties like those. Again, using an open source model where we have a community of people that help us. Um, and in that sense, we, will, we are the first solution 
to give you know, a bottom-up carbon um, analysis of your life. What do you do with it? You become carbon neutral. Uh, carbon tax is not there at a, at a rate that is big enough. So what we do here is we're going to tell organizations and people who want to do voluntary uh, compensations to pay through the system. And then we have a vetted list of uh, partners with whom we are going to invest in carbon negative projects in order to redirect all those funds to the most efficient decarbonization scheme uh, that is available up there. That's the end of my talk. We have a beta that is out there uh, that is getting continuously worked on. And if you're interested, uh, please reach out afterwards. Thank you. Thank you. It's really impressive. I try to measure how many carbons and CO2 I'm emitting. Um, as you mentioned in your presentation, if we want to fight climate change, we do have to change the, the way we use energy and electricity. And for GSO, a distribution system operator, it means that we have, we have to help in a neutral manner or consumer to be more empowered in the way uh, they are using electricity. And for, for NEDs, it's based and it's completely, uh, let's say, uh, consistent with what the uh, CER is saying on the 3D, uh, the 3D strategy. The first D is to uh, decarbonize uh, the way electricity is uh, generating. And if you look at France, 95% of the renewables are connected to the distribution grid. So it's... Uh, it's not a challenge, it's a big opportunity for GSO, like Enedis, to connect and to manage uh, those renewables in a fair way. Of course, keeping in mind that we have to maintain the quality of supply and uh, the efficiency, especially in terms of, uh, of prices. The second D is uh, the decentralization of uh, this electricity. And we do believe that if we want to, to fight climate change, something has to be more uh, local. And to be more local, we have to find uh, innovation, a new way of having this kind of, uh, let's say, energy uh, communities. And we are uh, delighted to see that the, four, uh, the clean energy package is providing the right uh, framework for uh, local energy communities. And in France, we already have something like this. We call it the self-consumption scheme, and uh, the self-consumption scheme is based on the Linky smart meter. It means that in your neighborhood, we will be, if we are the three of us living nearby, we will be able to share our electricity. If, for example, you have a solar panel on your roof, we will exchange, or uh, you will, I will use your electricity. And this uh, self-consumption scheme will help us to be, um, to have a local balance, so local production will be uh, completely balanced with the local consumption. This D for us, this uh, decentralization, is really important. And based on the uh, current project we are running, we can assume that the consumer involved are really, really playing the game. They try to reach this perfect local balance. It means that they are consuming less and they are consuming in a, in a good way in terms of to, to maintain the balance. They are charging the electrical cars during the night, using the washing machine when it's the right, uh, the right time. This is possible thanks to the, the linky meter, and it's natural uh, bridge to the, the, the next D, which is the digital. You mentioned the data, and that are the, the oil. Of course, they are. That's really important if we do want to have a clear and global understanding on the way we consume electricity. And it's also really important for uh, DSOs. We are a neutral monopoly. So we do have to open our data. We must open them. And uh, if you check at the uh, NADs uh, open data uh, website, you will see how many data are available for free. The local authorities, the cities, uh, and the citizens are using the data to uh, create new API, new apps, new innovation in order to help the citizen to be 
definitely part of this uh, big uh, big fight. So we are completely playing the game of the 3D. We cannot be alone in doing that. We have to work with the TSO. One of the main uh, change or moves, and thank you, Suzanne, for mentioning it in your book. A few years ago, we were talking about DNO, distribution network operator. We are not DNO anymore. We are DSOs, distribution system operator, working very closely with the transmission system operator in order to create not only a framework, but uh, let's say uh, a spirit to, uh, to leverage and to speed up uh, the, the energy transition. We are working together with NSOE and the uh, DSO Association in this TSO-DSO platform. And very soon, thanks to the uh, new energy package, there will be uh, the famous DSO entity. And uh, that's also a very good news for us. We will have this uh, strong entity to uh, work better uh, with you and, uh, and the other uh, TSO. So, there is this famous 3D, tech, 3D strategy, and I would like to add one. It's not only digitalization, decarbonization, decentralization, it's also the like distribution. Okay, so good, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. First of all, I would like to uh, uh, congratulate uh, Suzanne, I think, for having put this uh, book together. I want to say that we do have an agenda in NSOE which is extremely hectic and busy into uh, facilitating a lot of things. And uh, it is amazing that uh, that you still found the, the space, uh, Suzanne, to uh, to put such a, a fruitful set of, uh, of um, uh, witnesses of this change together into a book. So we, we are lucky to have... Uh, to have uh, Suzanne with us at NSOE, so thanks for having done that effort. I must say, I'm also very uh, uh, happy to have been able to contribute to a small piece, very, very small, of uh, one of the chapters, how we see the uh, system to transform. I think uh, uh, Remy has already introduced it. We really see the system becoming a system of systems, a power system of systems, uh, interacting with each other. The keyword is APIs, uh, sets of uh, data interface which has open as, as possible. Of course, the TSO-DSO is, uh, is, is a particular uh, interaction, as what you say, uh, uh, Remy. We are both natural monopolies. So we, we have the same logics of open data. We have the same logic of optimizing usage of our system. And, and in that environment, we, we do have a specific role to play. I would like to, uh, to make a few comments also on, on uh, what I said this morning into this IRENA workshop, where that was very interesting. A meeting organized this morning with this launch in parallel to this book of this uh, innovation uh, roadmap. Uh, my message was to say it is crucial for TSOs to come now in innovation. I think the low-hanging fruit has been done. We have reached 40%, 50% of renewable into the electrical system. The question which we are raised now is are you going to be able to cope with 100% and how how are you going to be able? And so, and so here, it is a race between an absolute need for the society because the electrical uh, area is the easiest way to uh, decarbonize, I'm not talking about planes and all that kind of things. And so it's all about bringing uh, these innovations and best ID as, as smoothly as possible in a system which cannot stop and, and, and making uh, best use of that innovation. And I want to to point out what we are uh, working in terms of uh, new innovation uh, on a day-to-day -day basis here in Europe, I would uh, first like to flag all the effort which have been done so far into integrated system planning. What the people specialists are, know this as 10-year network development plan, TYNDP. I think we are the only countries in the world which are trying to plan our systems together, taking into account the exact location of renewable in any city, any places of Europe and to put an economical cost-benefit analysis on every infrastructure. It is unique, it is a challenge every day to make this, uh, this process working and improved uh, uh, at best. The second element is all these uh, platforms which we bring in terms of market facilitation, intraday balancing. This is a constant fight for bridging real-time with flows and physics into the systems. I think we do have a very heavy agenda right now on that. 
And then I would uh, call more the disruptive innovation in a way which is not innovation for tomorrow morning, but for 2030, 2040. And here we do see definitely a need to start working uh, much closer with our gas colleagues. And so G, we do have a lot of exchange with NSOG. So that's, uh, we learn from each other for the moment. We are not yet into doing innovation together, but we are in a phase of learning what do you call a green electron? What do you call a green molecules? How can we compare? How can we make sure that you do not blend green molecules with uh, darker molecules into molecules which becomes uh, green electrons? Because otherwise we are going to fake uh, the system. And I, I very much uh, like the approach of uh, tomorrow, which is trying to look at that from a prosumer po point of view. If, if I'm a prosumer, I just want to know how much am I decarbonized, whether it's gas or electricity, and so we, we owe a certain level of transparency to the prosumers uh, from that point of view. So this power to gas is, is a very, and I would say, generally speaking, sector coupling is a very fundamental uh, element, and of course comes all the, uh, the bells and whistles and smoke and mirrors of digital, which is, which is absolutely a, a, a thing to change, and I think the best advocate for that is my neighbor here. Uh, when the, I remember when I arrived at NSOE, in the first 300 emails, I received an email from one man, it was him, uh, saying, I just get out of school. Uh, you have these transparency things here. Can we sit together and check how we could make best use of that? And I know that if I had asked my CIO to develop what he has developed, it would have cost me probably three, five times more of what he has done, and it would have taken three years more. And I, I think this is really the uh, dynamics which we see with digital, and that's going back to opening data, entrusting new players into that environment, building ecosystems, relying on ecosystems, business innovation into an alliance, into an ecosystem. It's really at the core of what we want to do. And I think we are always very happy to, uh, uh, to hear what tomorrow is doing. They don't ask us our opinion of what their app should do. They develop it themselves and make use of our data. That's, that, that's really the beauty of this win-win relationship. And I must say, I'm using even your new app. I'm a beta tester of that because I am a prosumer. I have an EV. I have PVs. I have everything in my house, which is as clean as possible. And I'm looking forward uh, learning how I can better use your uh, your apps into the NSOE uh, uh, staff. So, so that, that's, that's really the beauty of the digital. Digital is not about inventing ourselves, but enabling an ecosystem to invent around us. That's very important. Okay, thank you. So I, I think I, I take from here that uh, we have six Ds. One is data is all. We have decentralization, digitalization, decarbonization. We have distribution company as a extra D, the renew ad. And then we also have data transparency. For P, we have two P platforms, and we have a planning system together. And then we have sector coupling, which I think is going to be the next thing on how we can work together with other sector. And sector coupling is going to gas, and I think it's also going to transport. And when we're facing the new era of energy, we have to take this into account. And then I, there is an extra D that came at the end, so it's the 7D, which is dynamic. Let's not reinvent what is already invented, but let's use it. So with this uh, input that we have for the three speakers, I, I don't know whether from you, from the audience, would like uh, any, any questions to, to go? There are no questions. Okay, so I can, I can go for, for one question to Oliver. And then when you are thinking about uh, uh, the, the functionalities of the, uh, the capacity of, uh, of the data, how you handle it, and the, all the sources, open sources data you, that you bring, how do you, how do you picture guarantee of origins and uh, bringing all together? Guarantees of origin. So we've looked a lot into guarantees of origin, uh, especially in the past one and a half years, uh, into carbon accounting, what the rules are. And the long story short is that there's two ways to account for carbon emissions, and it's even dictated by the greenhouse gas protocol. 
And there's uh, something that's called the physical, uh, like location-based accounting, and then there's the contractual accounting. So basically, it's two different ways of saying your electricity is green. Um, they are incompatible. You cannot, say, you cannot mix them. And so there's one big problem with the guarantee of origin, which is that it's misleading for the consumer to say that you are receiving green electrons by buying green electricity. The reason is that when the wind doesn't blow, there's absolutely no physical sense. There's no way that you can be powered by wind electrons at that time, right? So I think guarantees of origin is a tool that is here as a renewable subsidy. It's a, it's a way to say, as a consumer, I want to be able to incentivize more renewable in the system. Therefore, I want to pay extra for my electricity. But in no, I think it has been misbranded in my perspective into something that just tells you um, now you shouldn't care anymore at flexibility. You shouldn't care at when you're going to use your electricity because it's green no matter what. And we've seen that firsthand, especially as a business, because when we go uh, to charging station operators and tell them, look, we can actually help you quantify how green the electricity is and make sure we incentivize your consumers, your customers to use it at the right time. They say, well, the CO2 thing, we don't care because we buy guarantees of origin. It's green all the time. Um, right, so 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 for me, there's a misleading um, aspect to the guarantees of origin, which is why actually with the electricity map we've gone into the other paradigm, which is follow the physics. Because if you follow the physics and you optimize for that metric, um, you will optimize for reality. That's that's really the thing. And if you have two ways of accounting things, that also means you can double count benefits. Um, I can talk about this a lot, but uh, like one example that, that I usually take is. If you are in Norway and you charge your electric vehicle, the Norwegian state will tell you it's green because it's physically green. There's, there's only hydropower in Norway, right? But if, if you are, um, on the other hand, if you have, I don't know, a Google data center uh, in, in Holland that is green because it bought Norwegian certificates, you basically sold the greenness twice. There's one of them which cannot be green, right? And so if you have two accounting systems and you use the one that's good for you to tell that you're green, well, uh, you, you have a problem there. Okay, so maybe my question, it did refer to guarantee of origin, but I'm more like stamping, uh, not with the official guarantee of origin scheme, but stamping on a blockchain uh, means or some, some other, that the electricity is really coming from your neighbor or the electricity is really consumed when the wind is blowing. It's, is this something that uh, you see value bringing to, the, to this extra stamp on time and location? It will, Right, so, so, so uh, we spent probably six months when we started looking at guarantees of origin, figuring out how could we fix this, right? And fixing it basically means if you could issue guarantees of origin at a very granular level on space and time constraints, stamping them and everything, uh, then yes, sure, you will, you will have a good, a good system. But the problem is as soon as you're having a, a different way of accounting for things, um, you have a problem there because some, you have triple counting suddenly, right? Uh, in Denmark, the certificates are stamped, uh, I think, even at an hourly level, I think so. So we actually looked at this and whether or not we could build into the electricity map a different view that we show you the guarantee of origin, uh, but you actually can't right now. But block So blockchain is a good technology to solve this. The only problem is um, if you have parallel accounting systems, that's where the problem lies. Okay. That's good. We get some questions now. I knew it. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, very impressive. Uh, just one, um, uh, maybe theoretical question, but it, you alluded to the fact that you can now check whether your Tesla is like um, uh, so and so many grams per uh, per kilowatt hour. But actually, if you charge your Tesla, you're on the margin. Your your electricity consumption is essentially the the last coal-fired power plant that goes online, and actually the calculation is quite quite sim uh, simple because you have a European integrated system that typically is f uh, most of the times without uh, co uh, congestion interconnected and you just look what's the most dirty plant that is running because it's typically the most expensive one, uh, maybe for gas not, uh, gas versus coal not, and then you just say that's the, that's the uh, gram per, per kilogram, no? Yeah, that's an excellent question. So um, we have actually developed machine learning algorithms that estimate what is the marginal power plant so basically, the one that was po will power your Tesla. So you put your, you plug your Tesla, and then somewhere in Europe, 
a system will be turned on in order to give that extra electricity. And so we trace it back. We look at, um, let's say, for example, in Belgium, we look at if you increase the consumption level, where does that extra consumption come from? Does it come locally or does it come from a neighboring country? And then you can repeat that and then you end up, it can even be that it comes from Portugal, right? And in the end, we can then identify which type of power plant generates that marginal um, electricity. Um, now, the question you're alluding to is, if you're charging your Tesla, which is the right way to describe the responsibility, like the responsible power plant? Is it the average mix of everything that you get from the grid, or is it the marginal one? And that's a very difficult question, and basically goes into, again, different ways of calculating carbon. You have consequential accounting, basically saying, based on my action, what is the consequence of what I'm doing? A typical example is, if you don't take the plane, uh, the plane will leave anyway, so the marginal emission of you not taking the plane would be zero, right? Um, do you still want to say that uh, it's free to take the plane because of that? Maybe not, so that's more the attributional accounting, which gives the responsibility to, shares the responsibility amongst everyone, right? And the thing with the, I'll stop there, but the only thing I will say about the attributional accounting is that everything, the sum of all the actions sums up to the total emissions. On the marginal one, that is not true, and that's, that's a problem, basically, because if you are charging your Tesla and then you have a dirty power plant that is doing something, that dirty power plant is also emitting, and we will also say that that power plant is also responsible for emitting. So at some point, you're distributing responsibility twice. So, that, so it gets tricky, but it's basically the difference between marginal and, and average. I don't know if that answers your question, but it's a technical, yeah, it's very technical. Thank you. Anas uh, Ditek. Actually, I would like to ask two, two questions, maybe related to each one. First one is about uh, aggregation of data. So uh, we as consumers can use these applications so to understand uh, our impact. Uh, but uh, as the vision published by the European Commission uh, on the vision 2050 on, on climate said that uh, with changing of behavior, and that's what was ex also discussed a little bit uh, before here as well, uh, we can get the same result without uh, uh, such huge cost. Can you actually assess your own impact? So how actually your applications help to decrease uh, uh, carbon overall, not for each of us, how we uh, decrease our own carbon, but uh, overall for all users of the platform, how you use this data and how you treat this data. Uh, and another question which is related also from the distribution side, and uh, distribution and ENSO is uh, very keen on cybersecurity. So it's uh, also the two-way street. So you open your data, but uh, you create this algorithm, but you also open the ways for others possibly to use and to misuse. And it's discussed a lot. Uh, but just in, the, uh, in terms of the current topic of decarbonization, the, how you see it's developing. Thank you. Thank you. So I'll quickly answer on the, on the impact uh, on our platform. It's not something we have yet. For now, it's only geared at the individual level. Uh, later on, we'll be able indeed to compute, you know, what are the consequences of your actions for some other people. For now, it's, it's, it's not something we've planned. Regarding the cybersecurity, it's our top priority. If you look at uh, the Linky smart meter in France, there was already uh, today there will be something like 17 million of smart meter. It's a lot of data, and uh, any of this is not uh, Facebook. Huh? We are we will never never sell the data from from consumer and the data in open data. We we are making some cosmetics around it. You cannot see your own data on uh, the Enedis uh, open data portal. We try to aggregate them at something like uh, it could be uh, a neighborhood area or a city area, but it's not definitely not uh, your own data. And privacy is a top priority, as well as uh, the uh, to protect all the linky chain from a cyber attack. If you look back back in time with the old meter, with the RTC modem, it was possible to to call the meter and then to get your load curve back. With the linky meter, it's not possible anymore. We don't want the the linky meter to be an open door 
to the to the main system. So now, if you want your data from the Linky, you have to connect on a, a securized portal. So it's it's really a priority, and we take it really seriously. And if you look at the European policy on the the, the, the cyber package, we are working and lobbying a lot on uh, the assessment on the the chain to be sure that they are strong enough. And we also would like a strong European cyber agency on the top of the national cyber agency to be sure that we as a citizen will be correctly uh, protected. Yes, maybe in complement to what was said, definitely cybersecurity is the uh, main obstacle to uh, uh, spread of digitization into the system. So we have established in NSOE, for instance, a, a very clear now data policy. Uh, between extremely secure, sensitive data, which we'll never share to the outside. Uh, we, the only people we share this data with are obviously regulator, ACER, uh, for the purpose of regulating TSOs, but these are not uh, open data. And uh, open data, which are data, uh, um, I would say, useful for market participants, for enabling markets, and there is, the, the, there is a very fine line uh, between the two levels, because the more we introduce renewable, the more we try to bridge real-time physics and markets, and, and the more you have to expose information on where your system is congested, and the more you expose uh, cyber-sensitive information at a very uh, high level. And in environment, we should not forget that in Europe, we have very hostile neighbors. Huh? So we currently work on to, uh, synchronizing Ukraine with Europe, or desynchronizing Baltics from Russia into Europe. So you, you imagine the kind of bilateral relationship without talking the new gas directive on Nord Stream and so on. So, so you, you can imagine the kind of complex relationship between us and Russia into this space. So we are, again, we hope nothing uh, bad will happen, but we are preparing at best to protect ourselves in that scenario. And we should not be na naive. There are trials every day, and that you, you read in the press, uh, Ukraine is known to be an area which is extremely active right now on this topic, and we try to be as careful as possible. So on one side, you saw the very positive uh, view here. On the other side, we have to be balanced, and we definitely don't want to jeopardize the European security of supply uh, because of, uh, of open data on, and so on. So that has to be carefully managed uh, together with regulators. Yeah, maybe a follow-up question on the uh, on the data question to uh, to Mr. Karadi. Um, what what type of data would you essentially like in addition to to be made public? Where you think you can really make uh, make use of that, and you don't see big concerns in terms of cybersecurity and uh, and uh, and commercial secrets, both from the TSO, but also especially from the from the DSO side. Uh, because I imagine there's a lot to be uh, to be gained for our transition in, in getting better information. Yes, very, very good question. So, so actually, the to step back just one second, the data that we're using is basically what power plants are producing at what time, right? And if you want to get a better picture, if you really want to integrate even more renewable in the system, what you need to is be able to say very precisely at a fine-grained uh, scale, both in time and in space, where does the electricity come from? And the thing that we need to increase there, and that's especially actually on the DSO level, is if we can get spatial granularity. Uh, because if you look at a country like Germany, uh, you have, if you look at the TSO level, that's interesting, but if you could go down to the, T to the DSO level, and in France it's the same, Imagine how interesting this becomes, and it goes, I mean, extrapolate that a lot, and then you end up with even your, your uh, self-production, right? The production of your own solar panels, if they can be published somewhere public, then you're really able to say, well, at this neighborhood, there's, like, there's solar being generated, so therefore the electricity is slightly greener because of Mr. X, which is here and generously giving green electricity to the grid. Now, on the cybersecurity part, I don't, I think there's a, um, Opening up the data has several um, impacts. It has a financial impact because um, on the data has value in itself, and you're giving up that value when you give it away. 
Um, that is simply a fact. Then you have more on the security side. As soon as you open up an interface, this means that someone can get in and do something, attack your system from that interface. But it's not the data itself or opening up the data that is the problem. It's, it's managing the interface and making sure it's secure such that someone who wants to get open data doesn't get anything else than open data. That's really the problem. It's not the open data itself, right? I would like to slightly complement what, what has been said here, just to show the issue. If, if you look today, they had information on markets and, and so on, are tightly, for instance, related to flow base. Flow base are related to critical corridors. Critical corridors are related to area where you can crash a plane on a substation or a line and create a major mess in the European system. So this is the real issue, which is going to these real-time and spatial granularity is this one. And, and that, that is really a complex one. Uh, how much can we afford to give to the market for enabling efficiency of the market versus the risk taken in the system? And there is a real risk taken on the system, let's be honest. But you don't know the flow real-time. You, you don't know when is the peak into this specific area of the system. Yeah, but, but I don't need to know that. I, I know this. Yeah, but you you will you will <laughs> you will be very critical if you know in the same time the location and the flow. Then you become very strategic into your attack. To, to ask the, the three of you, what are the, the, new, the new players, any kind of players that you think is going to be more uh, disruptive in the, in the next coming five, seven years in the electricity sector? For DSO perspective, definitely the aggregators, the one that will provide flexibility to the grid. They will probably aggregate uh, electric vehicles, for sure. They will aggregate... Uh, electrical boilers in France. They will aggregate, uh, I don't know, pumps from the pools. They will provide a new flexibility. And we, as DSO, will first we have to help them to shape the flexibility offer. What kind of flexibility do we need? Do we need megawatts during hours? Do we need kilowatts during minutes? So we have to help them for that. But definitely on a DSO perspective, the aggregators of flexibility will are they already are the, the new players. We have to work with them. Behind this flexibility market, there is a lot of value for the grid, for the consumer, and at the end, for the planet. So, for me, there is two type of new player. The, the first one is I would call it the orchestrators, who are going to be the orchestrators of the systems of systems. And that's not a single one. I think we tend to think there is a single person somewhere making this orchestration. It's actually not the case. It's a layer of orchestration. And so here for me, the, and I'm talking TSO and DSO here in the same boat, is how can we ourselves become as efficient as the Google and the Facebook to develop multi-sided digital platform? There is no reason why our industry is not able to do that. We must learn on how to develop this kind of platform. Because by essence, a, a grid operator has this role. And the second one is really uh, the actor at the grid edge. The grid edge transaction makers, or I don't know how you call it, whether it's controls or traders. or uh, And here it becomes virtual, it becomes real-time, it becomes algorithmic, it becomes... It can be synthesized as a prosumer, as an aggregator, and so on. I don't know what it is. It's an agent somewhere. And, and that's where this uh, innovation will come from. The, the question is, how can we bridge these two worlds? And here comes the regulators and the economists. Is we need to rethink our market design. How can we give a good price signal to these people so that location of flexibility, capacity, there's plenty of different of signals. But if we don't fix in the same time as we build the platform, the business model, the agent will die on themselves or there will stay two people and two people will not be enough 
for all the innovation which we need into this industry. So, so the, there is a business model issue here which we need to, to solve. Right, I, I completely share this view. I think it's uh, orchestrated is one way to say it. Uh, another way to say it is that you need the glue between all those systems to work perfectly. Um, and, and data is really about that. It's about being able to put this digital layer that goes across all the systems. And we've been, we haven't talked enough about the sector coupling, but for me this is, I mean, if you think about where emissions come from, they don't come from electricity in general, right? They come from other places. And so if you want to electrify everything, with storage, with everything, gas is going to be crucial for this, power to gas and so on. Um, and right now, I don't see a player that is completely you know, enabling, making it so fluid that you can make all those transactions between the different energy forms so simple. Uh, knowing if you get an electron that has gone through a, a gas turbine stored with hydrogen, uh, electricity, the value chain becomes incredibly complex. So I think the players of the future will be the ones that can understand and be the glue between all those systems. That is going to be incredibly important. Okay, so I, I think we do take a, a very good final remarks from the end, and there are homework to do. So there is innovation, there are platform, there are willingness, there, there's going to be cybersecurity, but there are a few issues still to, to be solved. So that means that we still stay in a sector that is very entertaining, that we can make it CO2-free. So I think the challenge is great, but it's also very fulfilling. So before I say goodbye to, to the three panelists, I would like to that all of you join me in applauding the, uh, Susanne from the work she's done for the book, which I think that we wouldn't be here without her, her effort uh, today. So thank you. And then, uh, thank you, Susan. Obviously, to the panelists, uh, great for make a very funny afternoon. And thank you. Yeah, many thanks again to all of you for coming today, to Bruegel uh, for hosting this event, for providing lunch, for providing insights, to uh, Jacques Delors Energy, uh, Jacques Delors. Uh, Institute uh, for participating, all the authors. So read the book, uh, send us your feedbacks. And also this event was live streamed. It's part of this online training that in six weeks uh, in a crash course uh, delivers all the insights that we have shared in the book on the European energy transition. So many thanks to all of you again. <laughs>